I'd be used to death. How'd that ride go for you this morning? Everybody all right? Yeah. Free ride in the front row, too. Cheap entertainment here. Cheap entertainment. Fourth and fifth graders, you can be dismissed. But here's the truth of the matter. Too many times, not maybe not too many times, but many times in our life, we have this great moment where we're feeling in our life, so to speak, that, man, God, you've called us higher, you called us greater, we're doing awesome, we want to worship you, it's great, and then all of a sudden the phone rings, and maybe you're like the conversation I heard about this morning from somebody who found out over the weekend that a friend of theirs had their 18-year-old son passed away, right? Where, where all of a sudden you're, you're feeling great and everything's good, but then the roller coaster ride hits, and, and you hear the trembling in their voices, right? I mean, yeah, this was fun. But, I mean, when you hit that roller coaster and you get out of that thing, you're beat up, okay? Or maybe you're the other person that I've talked with in the last month. A, a good friend of mine doesn't go to Living Stones. He's in a different city, and, and he had finished a huge project for his work. His work was sending him and paying for his schooling. And so he felt really good in his job. He had been there seven to ten years and felt great about it. Finished this huge project. They presented the project on Friday in some amazing city called Cleveland, Ohio. And, and just side note, you know, I'm a Buckeye, by the way. No, no comments, please. I don't want to hear about it. Should, should be a different type of game. But, but you know, here he was, and, and, and he was going into work and feeling good because he had finished his project, and his production manager said, hey, we need to meet. And as they're on their way to meet, the HR representative comes by. And then you're starting to feel like, uh-oh, what's going on, right? And the roller coaster ride's about to hit this guy. And it's not going to be good. And he walked in and they said, you know, uh, we appreciate all you're doing. You've done a fantastic job. We know your reviews have been good, but we've got to make some cuts because we aren't where we need to be. And he lost his job. Or another guy that I talked to who uh, about a year ago uh, went into the doctor for some health things and, and just didn't really feel good. And so he figured the doctor tell him to pop a pill and start exercising, right? And that's what he figured. Instead, 24 hours later, he had open bypass surgery because he was completely blocked and the only reason his heart was getting any blood is because the heart had grown a couple of other arteries. And the doctor looked at him and said, you should be dead. And, and we have these moments of where we're, we're, we're doing great and God called me higher. And then, boom, we hit the roller coaster ride. And it's completely messed us up. And, and it completely has us a wreck. And that's why we are taking a couple of weeks, last week and this week, to talk about emoticons. When you look at a little emoticon on your phone when somebody sends it to you, or on Facebook, or anywhere else, and you kick it into a message, they look all cute and pretty and great and fun, and, and there are serious ones, and there are sad ones, and there are happy ones, and there are angry ones. But you know, when we have these emoticons, our emotions are real. And, and Sam made this statement last week, which I think sums up both of our weeks, and he said that our emotions are excellent servants, but terrible masters. They are excellent servants, but terrible masters, that, that they can completely master our lives sometimes and run us. And, and if my friends that I talked about hear those stories and they aren't where they need to be with God, it's not going to just rattle them because it rattles all of us when things shock us, right? But it will completely almost could destroy them when those shocking things happen if we aren't at a place where we are in the right spot with God. And so we're going to talk a little bit more this morning about how to handle our emotions, and, and we're going to look the life of a story of a guy who, who did that really well. But before we do, I want to read a passage of scripture that, that Sam read at the end of last service last, last week, when he, he read this passage over all of us. And I want to start there this morning, knowing full well that this is our prayer as we go into this, is we're talking about and dealing with emotions. Ephesians 3, verses 16 
through 21, and it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, being God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Let's just start with prayer. God, I come to you and, and Father, I, I pray over all of this this morning because God, I know this week at the Livingstones Church, we have been at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. God, we started our week with a family that had a, a shocking death in their family as, as they had a funeral this week for their mother that passed away. And then, God, we also had this week a, f- a wedding that was held here. And, God, so we've, we've had all kinds of emotions in the middle of this Thanksgiving week, all over the spectrum. But, God, here is what we know. We know that you love us and will sustain us and give us the strength even when our circumstances don't change. You will help us to stand strong in our emotions. And so, God, I pray that over all of us this morning. That as we look at the life of a man called Elijah, a prophet of you, and how he walked through some tough things in his life, God, that it would speak to our hearts and encourage us. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to the other end of our Bible, at the opposite end, all the way to the left, to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Because here's where we want to start. Um, what, I guess I should say this too, because there is one more emotion, right? There's, there's one more tragedy that almost struck, and, and it happened last night at about 11-ish, and, and, and Notre Dame fans, oops, did I say that, were excited because they were winning by nine because they can't score touchdowns, but they got field goals, and so um, the quarterback, did I say that? That's my second favorite team, and I just sold them out like that, but they, the, the freshman quarterback for USC goes back to pass, and you're thinking another interception, aren't you? And they launch that ball down the field, and they catch it at the five. And I would love to have experienced your emotions in that moment, by the way, because I felt them. And I, I'm a Buckeye fan first, and then the Irish are right under that. And so I felt, and I'm like, oh, man. And I could hear it. We were out in the garage at one of my neighbor's houses all hanging out, and, and you could feel it in there. It felt like USC flashbacks from seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever that was, and we had the chance to win, and then Liner got pushed into the end zone, and everybody's thinking, uh-oh, here we go again. And then there was like 16 plays inside the three-yard line to stuff them, and, and then Notre Dame fans were like, you've got to be kidding me. The luck of the Irish is real again. You know, it's only taken 25 years to get back, but we're there, you know. But anyway, you have those emotions, right? Which is great coming into this message, by the way. As I was preparing, I thought, this is a two-way message. It's either the Notre Dame loses, and I get to speak this message as a word of encouragement to all of you. Or they win, and we're all excited, and we can talk about how we can counsel others, like our fellow Michigan fans. Can we stand in agreement, Notre Dame fans? All right. But anyway, sorry about that, Wolverines, team up north or whatever you are. But let's jump in to the story of Elijah, because he had one of those moments. He had one of those mountaintop awesome, amazing moments in 1 Kings 18, because Elijah was one dude, and he took on 400 guys in the challenge of a lifetime, and he said, you know what, I'm going to challenge you guys, and let's see whose God is for real, and Elijah said, let's, let's build an altar, and then we're going to put a sacrifice on it, and you 400 guys, I want you to pray to your God, and see if, if he'll come down and send fire 
down on it and make it disappear. This is 1 Kings 18. And then Elijah said, you know what? Then I'll, I'll do the same thing, and I'll have my God do it. The same thing. And so, so they did, and the prophets of Baal were going nuts. I mean, they were praying and, and uh, going crazy as they were doing that. And then in verse 26, it says, so they took the bull given to them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, which I love that, by the way. Right? As a football sports fan, Elijah taunted somebody else? Does that make trash talk legal? Oh, anyway, sorry. All right. I'm digressing again. But then it said, and then Elijah in verse 27 said, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves and did all these things. And it wasn't happening. The fire wasn't coming out of the sky. And so Elijah said, all right, it's my turn. You guys are done. All right, you did your little slashy, slashy and all that stuff. And he, he prepared his slashy, slashy. Nice. My, my wife just got embarrassed back there when I just said that. But um, then you, you pre- he prepared, prepared his altar, and, and they, they put the animal on there, and he said, you know what, I'm not done yet. He said, we're going to build some trenches. I want you to dump some water on this thing. And then they dumped some water on it. They said, you know what, we're not done. Let's dump a little more water on it. And so they dumped it on it again. And they said, no, 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 no. Dump water on it again. And so he dumped water on it again. And then it happens in verse 36. In verse 36, it says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet, prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up, I like that, licked up the water. I I just think that is incredible stuff right there, that our God came through in a huge way. Can you imagine, you think you're excited because the Irish are going to a championship? Can you imagine what Elijah was feeling in that moment? I mean, it it was out of his hands. He's preparing this altar. He's taunting the other team, and he's preparing this altar, hoping and believing that his God's going to come through for him. And God doesn't just come through. He blows it away. He destroys all of it and takes care of it. Elijah has to be on top of the world in this moment. That moment of, yes, this is good stuff. He's feeling great. He he is celebrating. And then we look at chapter 19, and you think, well, how did he celebrate? Surely, no matter what the next challenge is, he can overcome it. 19, verses 1 through 3. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Are you kidding me? The guy who was over here and had just seen God do something that was mind-blowing. He saw his God not just send down fire and take care of the sacrifice, but took care of everything that was there and came through. Now he's going to be afraid of Jezebel coming after him? And he doesn't believe enough in his heart that if his God came through here, that God's going to come through here? And you know where I'm going. We do that, don't we? 
We've seen God and we can tell stories of God's faithfulness in our lives. And we can tell stories of how God has moved in us and, and how maybe he didn't change the circumstances we were in, but he gave us strength to walk through it. And we can see that. And the next time the phone rings and that tragedy happens, the next time something happens at work, we fall apart again. And we're afraid and we're running scared, just like Elijah. And so this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when those moments happen to us. Well, how, what do we do? How should we respond? And, and I'm looking at this from two different sides, both from the side of, of us personally, as far as, all right, what should I do? How should I walk through that? But also, I want you to also kind of have on the glasses and the lenses of how do I help someone else? If I give words of encouragement, these are the things that I would want to give to someone else. Because Elijah felt it. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Check out verse 4. At the end of verse 4, he prayed that he might die. Here's a guy who was on top of the world, and look what his emotions are. I mean, this is real stuff. He was afraid, he had fear, and he wants to die. And then you look at verse 5, and it says, Then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. He withdrew and fell asleep. And then you look at verse 10, and he, he replied after God had asked him a question, and he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He feels rejection. He feels loneliness. And I think we can all relate to that to some level. It may not be as severe of circumstance, and maybe it is, but not, sometimes not as severe. But we all have those emotions that weigh down on us, those, those things that make us feel that pressure. And so let's look at six things this morning, six ways of, of how do we respond and how did God respond to Elijah? How did God walk through these things with Elijah? And before we jump into those six things, I just want to mention one thing that I think Elijah did that was a big mistake. And look at verse 3 and 4. It says he was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. Did you catch it? He went off by himself. The person that hung out with him, that, that I imagine this servant was probably even more than that for him, was probably someone who they were able to walk together with. And when you are kind of depressed or down and the stuff of life pushes on you, what do we do? We tend to withdraw and we pull away from people and we go into to a period of loneliness and, and we try to pull ourselves away and be by ourselves as opposed to staying in relationships and staying around people who can support us and encourage us. And I just encourage you this morning not to do that because there, there's a time to pull away and be by yourself if that's because you're trying to be restored with God and refuel. You see the difference? There's, I'm withdrawing because I'm depressed or I'm upset or I'm just feeling the uh of life. And so I just want to get away from everybody and hide and kind of feel my own negativity as opposed to being alone and a time with God to be restored. There's a difference between those two things. And I think that was Elijah's one mistake. But let's look at how God worked on him. How did, how did God respond to Elijah? And verses 4 and 5 start this quite well where it says while he went by himself on a day's journey he came to the tree and he said lord i've had enough lord he said take my life i am no better than my ancestors then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep here's the truth of the matter one of the most spiritual things we can do sometimes is to rest honestly because sometimes we we feel the weight of everything that's going on us and so we don't sleep at night 
and we're up, or we wake up early, and we can't fall back to sleep because we're worrying. And sometimes we need to just rest. And I think it's cool here that God never says to Elijah, dude, you need to wake up and get moving. He doesn't do that at the beginning. He allows him to rest. As a matter of fact, he does it there, and he does it again later, where Elijah has a time to just rest. Not rest like I want to sleep all the time, okay? So those of you who uh, are the people, and I'm not looking at anyone in specific, okay? But because some of us like to just rest all the time and withdraw all day long, you know what I mean? And turn the remote on and the TV goes on and you fall asleep every day and you never want to wake up, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about a rest to get ourselves emotionally because when our emotions are out of whack, we need to rest. And we need to take time to withdraw that way and get our sleep and to rest. And I think it's interesting that God allows that to happen before he sends his angel in. And so then it says, after he laid down to fall asleep, continuing in verse 5, it says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lie down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time to touch him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by his food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. And, and, and you see here the, the second step that I think is just as important, that God wants us to rest. And he also wants to make sure that we eat, which is kind of cool on Thanksgiving, isn't it? We just finished Thanksgiving week, and you think about eating. I'm not sure that that's what he attended when we're emotionally gone. Not that that's a bad thing on one day that we, we chow it down a little bit, but you know how you felt after that, right? And I think part of the point here is he gave him food to have the strength to go on the journey. And if we ate Thanksgiving meal and gorge ourselves, we don't have the strength to go on the journey. We have the strength to make it to the lazy boy chair, kick back and fall asleep, right? I mean, that's about what we have. But when we're in this kind of a situation where the emotions are weighing on us, we've got to eat right. Not the pizza that you saw on the screen on that emoticon, but we need to eat the stuff that's going to refuel our bodies so that when we go on this journey emotionally that we're going to walk through, that we are prepared to do it. That when we change our eating habits, a couple of years ago, and started to eat differently, it was interesting to see how much more energy I had and how much more I was able to handle some of the stressful things in my life because I simply didn't feel the weight as well of being pushed down as far as what I was eating and eating the wrong stuff. And so, you know, rather than running to Dairy Queen and getting the extra large chocolate extreme blizzard, which is my favorite, by the way, and I'm not saying you don't do that once in a while. I'm just saying be careful. And then you stack on top of that six set of fries and three cheeseburgers because, you know, you just want to eat your sorrows away. That's not what we're talking about. It's eating to get that fuel in your body to say, you know what, I want to be rested because I want to be restored because I want to be able to handle the things that are going to face me. And in verse 8, don't miss this, by the way. In verse 8 is the third thing. In verse 8 where it says, so he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by his food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. And, and I think God may have done this for a couple of reasons. You know, I don't know how much time there was, how much all the distance was that he, that he had to go or that he was walking the whole time. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes we've got to get up from our rest. We've got to make sure that we're eating right, but we've got to get out and we've got to walk or we've got to run or we've got to row the boat, whatever it is that gets you exercise, where the road the boat came from. I'm not sure where that came from either. But make sure you're going to be on the Notre Dame rowing team, all right? But making sure that you're getting the exercise that you need. Because here's what happens to me. When I go out and I discipline myself, like it's been very difficult this week because I only went out once, and, and I go out and I get my run in, man, the burdens are lifted. 
Honestly, I don't know what happens. I don't get all the chemical stuff that happens in my body. But I know this. When I am out and exercising, walking, running, getting out there, and getting moving as much as you can, then I know that 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 clears our heads. And I guarantee you that Elijah, that God had Elijah do this because he also wanted to clear his head. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you some exercise. And for 40 days, you're going to be walking and traveling and thinking and kind of processing that stuff out and getting yourself reset and doing the right things to yourself to get yourself set. Notice also how much time it is. It's not I have emotional strain and I expect myself 12 hours to be emotionally ready to handle the whole world. It was at least 40 days. Do you get that? That sometimes it's okay to feel emotion? That it's okay to work some stuff out? It's okay to have some anger that you need to express in in the right ways, right? But that we are walking through those things, that, that those things are okay, that those things make sense, but we need to be out and exercising and taking the time just like Elijah was out and he was moving. And the next one is huge. And I think both parts of it are huge in verses 8 and 9 of what he was doing. As he got up that food and he was, he was walking and he reached Mount Horeb, which could be also called Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the place where Moses got the Ten Commandments, the place where Moses got to see God. And then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the bottom line is this. We have got to spend some time with God, and we have to spend time with the people God's put in our lives. And the key there was the people God put in our lives to make sure we're listening to the right messages and the right people. But God wants us to spend time with him. God wants us in the midst of all that to ask him questions and to flesh those things out and and to talk with him and and to go to those places. I mean, he sent Elijah. Elijah knew what happened on that mountain. Elijah knew the special things that took place in the history of Israel on that mountain. He knew when he went there, man, I'm going to meet with God. I know that I'm going to connect with God. And God did it in a unique way because what I'm noticing here is, is God didn't beat up Elijah, by the way, and say, didn't you see how I came through for you, right? He came to him, and if you read through the rest of those verses, you'll see that he actually came to him, not in the earthquake, not in the loud sounds, but he came to him in a still, quiet voice is how he talked to him. He wanted to meet with Elijah. And I I believe this in 2012, that all those years ago, when when Jesus, after he had had died and risen again, and was talking with his disciples and said, I'm going to come back again for you someday, and he was ascending to heaven, and he started his church with his people, that that's part of what God wants. What is the first thing that a lot of us give up when we go through these hard times and we go through these struggles and we're emotionally out of whack as we say, you know what, I can't get up in the morning and show up at church. I can't go to communitas with my, my group of, of men or women or other couples or people or whoever it is that, that I meet with. I, I push those things off to the side instead of taking that time to meet with people that care about you and love you, that are willing to ask those tough questions of you, that are willing to listen to you. I encourage you, don't run in these moments. Don't run away from the church. That is what God established to be here to encourage you and to pull you through those things. God wants us to spend time with himself and with his people. This is probably the best for me in verse 9. Finally, the Lord's going to say something. And in the middle of verse 9, he says, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds. And then in verse 13, notice he says, And then in a voice he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God's first thing that he does 
is he asks a question, which I think is so cool. God wanted to hear Elijah's heart, and, God, and Elijah gave him his response and told him how he felt alone and, and all these things and those feelings of rejection. And God sat and listened. He never once, in that part, interrupted Elijah like some of us like to do to our friends, right? They're dumping their life on us, and we're going to try to fix it before they ever even have a chance to finish what they have to say, right? But God stopped, and he listened to him, and he heard what Elijah had to say. And after the first time, he didn't even really give a response. He just said, you know what? Go out to the edge of the cave, Elijah. I'm going to show up. And so Elijah moves out to the edge of the cage, cage, out to the edge of the cave. And, and he shows up out there and he, and he sees God. And so much so he covered his face in verse 13. And then God said, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, I, I, I've been zealous for you. And, and, and he goes on to, to share. And that's the bottom line, is that God listened first and then he talked. God listened. Twice he asked him the same question to try to get to the root of what was going on in Elijah's life. Have those kind of people around you willing to ask you those questions and to hear you and then to be willing to do what God did after that because God didn't stay there. He didn't stay with the, uh, the part of, of to, to get moving. He, he, he went into the part of saying, you know what? You're going to get into action. I don't want you to stay here. And in verse 15, he says, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you are there, Hazel, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Sophet, and Abel Moab, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And what does God do? He says, by the way, I just want you to know, you aren't alone. And God does respond. He doesn't just listen. And sometimes we have those friends that they listen and acknowledge, but they don't pour into us, right? And we need both. We need to have that friend listen to us and hear us and be there for us and maybe even wait a while before they give a response. But we need them to speak into our lives because we have got to hear truth. And that's what God did here is, Elijah, you feel like you're alone, but you're not. Have, I have two kings that I want you to anoint, and I even have the person who's going to replace you and take over for you. They're in place, and I have 7,000 that aren't bowing down to other gods that are ready to worship me. So know this, Elijah, even though you feel like it, even though your emotions are a little out of whack, buddy, guess what? I love you, and there are other people that are here. They really are there. And so... He leaves him there and speaks into his life. And then he says, man, get into action. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Elijah didn't stay there. He, didn't, he responded to what God had to say, and he got himself moving. At some point, and again, remember, there's a time frame here. It's not 24 hours after something happened that was awful. There was a period of time where after that, Elijah got into action and started to move and said, you know what? I'm not going to sit anymore. I'm not just going to soak in anymore. I'm getting restored, and now I need to go serve other people. And he went and followed through what God wanted him to do. And I believe that that's what God wants for us, that when we wrestle through these things and we're working with people that are wrestling through things, that we need to encourage them, get your rest, to make sure that they're eating the right things, to make sure that they're exercising, spending time with God and the people of God, that they, they know that you're willing to listen to them and that you have people who are willing to listen to you and speak into your life. And you don't stay where you are. Take up forward 
and start moving again. And, and that's what this last song that we're going to sing is all about. It's everlasting God. The strength of the Lord that we can rely on. That we aren't going to stay in here. We're not going to stay where we are today. But at whatever stage you're in of those six steps, that you're going to take the next one. And you're going to take that step forward and say, I'm not going to keep living in the emotion I am. But I'm going to trust in that everlasting God. And I'm going to cling to him with everything I have. Stand with me and let's pray. God, we come to you and I beg and plead you to touch people where they're at this morning. God, I I guarantee you there are people here that are struggling and wrestling through these things. And God, as as we sing this song, Lord, may may it be just a prayer for them to say, I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm going to rely on his strength. And God, if somebody's already walking through it and they're feeling strong, God, may this just be another statement, another marker in the ground that says, yes, right on. You are the everlasting God. You have been faithful. You will continue to be faithful. God, continue to move in us and encourage us today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.